DW Africa Link I hope you're ready for the news making headlines from Africa and beyond. Hello and a very warm welcome to the program with me, George Okachi. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. We're reaching you live on our Facebook page, that's DW Africa, and across partner stations around the world. Coming up on our program, Kenya's President William Ruto delivers his State of the Nation address and he gave himself a pat on the back. We are on the right path and shall, in due course, deliver the transformation of our nation in full. We shall do much more and go much further in delivering the Kenya we want for our generations and also for posterity. But does the State of the Nation address reflect the true state of the nation on the ground? The Kenyan people wanted to hear about the fuel, the transport, reduction of something because they can see that things are getting out of hand, they're really expensive and the Kenyan people are really feeling the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned in for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. Thousand more Palestinians have been fleeing from the north of the Gaza Strip as the Israeli government gives them a six-hour window to head south. The Israeli military says another 50,000 people have left and claims that Gazans believe Hamas has lost control of the north. Meanwhile, America's CIA... The Israeli intelligence service Mossad and the government of Qatar have been holding talks about freeing hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. Our correspondent Rebecca Ritas in Jerusalem with more. We've known that the Mossad chief has been in the region trying to further these talks and that certainly looks like what's happening in Qatar at the moment. Whether or not they'll be successful, of course, remains to be seen. We know that talks have gotten relatively far in the past, particularly before uh, Israel launched its ground operation, there were talks of releasing potentially up to 50 civilian hostages. And now uh, we're talking more around the 10, 15, because uh, the invade, the, sorry, the, the, the ground operation uh, that Israel then decided to conduct uh, basically made those talks dead in the water. Delegates at an international conference in France have called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza so that more aid can get into the area. There wasn't an Israeli representative at the meeting. France President Emmanuel Macron, who is hosting the summit, said he wanted a swift humanitarian pause. Clairement, face au terrorisme. In the face of terrorism, Israel has the right to defend itself and the duty to protect its own people. It also has an eminent responsibility shared by all democracies to respect the law and protect civilians. And the fight against terrorism can never be waged without rules. Israel knows this. The trap of terrorism is the same for all of us, giving in to violence and abandoning our values. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has authorized the deployment of 3,300 army personnel to help combat illegal mining. He says the country is losing millions of dollars each year due to such activities. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. 
The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in South Korea amid rising tensions on the Korean Peninsula. He met his South Korean counterpart to discuss North Korea's growing military ties with Moscow. Blinken has condemned Pyongyang for allegedly sending Russia weapons for its war in Ukraine. And Spain's socialists have reached a deal with a Catalan pro-independence party which could pave way for Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez to stay in power. The agreement includes a controversial amnesty for for politicians that have pushed for the Catalonia region to be separated from Spain. My name is Jean Nyingi. Thank you, Jane Nyingi, for the news and thank you for tuning in to the program. I am Eddie Michael Jr. And my name is George Okachi. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We welcome your comments on the stories that we are covering. That's right. Let's go for our top story in Kenya, where President William Ruto has given his first State of the Nation address since winning elections in 2022. He used the opportunity to defend the performance of his government. But this comes at a time when Kenya is grappling with high cost of living and doing business. Telma Motsaya filed the following report from Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Fourteen months after assuming power, the Kenyan president William Ruto made his first state of the nation address from the capital, Nairobi. In a joint setting of the Senate and Parliament, William Ruto arrived at Parliament buildings where he inspected the Guard of Honor. Security was beefed up in the city's major roads ahead of this event. Ruto took to the podium and began by defending his policies. We are on the right path and shall, in due course, deliver the transformation of our nation in full. We shall do much more and go much further in delivering the Kenya we want for our generations and also for posterity. Whilst brushing away his critics, claiming he has fallen short of his promises, William Ruto insisted that the journey for a better Kenya is on course. He attributed the bad economy to extended COVID-19, drought and geopolitics. This address comes at a time when Kenyans are reeling from the high cost of living brought on by an increase in taxes. Currently, life is unbearable, says Martin Peters Owino, the member of parliament for Ndiwa constituency. Let them tackle fuel. We want tangible measures. So selected uh, people you talked about, it's not a good sample for what Kenyans are going through. William Bruto insisted that the 500 billion shilling eurobond debt will be settled by December. It is important to note that Kenya has a $2 billion debt that is due next year. Ruto said Kenya's intentions have enabled it to normalize relationships with IMF, World Bank, and various partners. High taxation rates are to blame for Kenya's wars, but some leaders opined there is no other way, as the MP for Laikipia, Mwangi Kunjuri, clarifies. We had been endangered. The, if we had moved the way the country was moving, and we did not take those stringent measures that are a bit painful, the country could have gone to dogs. The only opposition principal present at the session was Kalonzo Musyuka of the Waipa Democratic Party, who also doubles as a co-chair of the National Dialogue Committee, which is to present its report to the president and Azimio leader Raila Odinga in a fortnight. Odinga gave the sitting a wide berth. Tell Mamotsaya with that report. So what really stood out in President Ruto's long-awaited speech? Yeah, it's a question a lot of people you know, are trying to sort of figure out. But it's also the first question I asked Neriwa Wako, a political analyst 
in Kenya. He was very specific in terms of mentioning the progress, business doing great in a particular county, and mentioning an individual's name, talking about health and having a conversation with a community health volunteer and just sharing the experience that he had, getting to know how Kenyans are working really hard to transform the country. Some of the Kenyan people feel that his speech does not reflect the situation on the ground. What do you make of that in terms of what he said versus what people are feeling? They wanted to hear more on the fuel. Remember, a few days ago, cabinet secretary shared that, you know, fuel prices are going to go up and basically warning Kenyans that we need to be prepared and we need to brace ourselves. So Mm. there's a bit of panic and, you know, didn't really touch on food. You know, we've been really talking about how food has become so expensive. Uh, A lot of people are blaming it on the fuel because of transport. But there's also an issue on agriculture. His administration has been very, very focused on subsidizing fertilizer, and those subsidies right now are not there anymore. So farmers are now feeling the pinch. They were only there for a short period of time. It's a subsidy. So I think a lot of Kenyans are saying this is not the situation on the ground, because even when he talked about his members, you know, pushing this anti-corruption act, Kenyans feel that there are so many scandals. There's too much corruption. We haven't seen anyone being held accountable for a lot of these scandals. Mm. And so they feel like the administration is disconnected. He's saying the good things that we should be seeing, but we're not seeing them. So basically, in a nutshell, he didn't seem to connect well with people in trying to find a solution to the current challenges, did he? So the Kenyan people wanted to hear about the fuel. They wanted to hear about the transport. They wanted to hear about reduction of something, something, something to show that the administration is making an effort because they can see that things are getting out of hand. They're really expensive and the Kenyan people are really feeling the brunt of it. What does the overall State of the Nation address say about the direction Kenya is headed? Kenya is about to do a lot more collection of revenue. There's a lot less responsibility on the end of the administration in terms of holding people accountable for the mismanagement of resources. So for Kenyans, it's to continue to tighten their belts. So it's going to be a tough year to come. So from frying pan to fire? Yes, unfortunately. Would you say it was a missed opportunity Mm -hmm. for uh, the Kenyan president, William Ruto, to sway some sort of support to his side? Yes, absolutely. It was a missed opportunity. He spoke to the choir. The president today spoke to people who already support him. It would have been an opportunity to give people who are in the middle, in limbo, and are not quite sure, to be able to have a chance for them to believe in him again. And I say this because if you just look at the few days leading up to his speech, there have been members in his cabinet who have behaved out of line. He could have even used this opportunity to even recognize that and their behavior and even have the courage to sack them and say, it's time for a new dawn. Too much time has been wasted and we need to do something about it. And I'm so serious about it. This is the change that I've made. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Okay. I was speaking to Nariyama Wako, a political analyst in Kenya. 
Of course, uh, her reactions, but also Kenyans and other people are mm. reacting to the state of the nation addressed by President William Samoy Ruto. I'll start by Mike Onguka. You're saying we are not complaining. We are very much okay. In fact, section of Kenyans are requesting the government to find a way of imposing tax on the air the citizens breathe. <laughs> I don't know why that got me. I mean, you can't impose tax on the air people breathe. I guess it's just a way to say that, look, he's, because that's what a lot of people are saying, that he's been introducing so much tax. Mm-hmm. People are saying, we don't have enough money, you keep introducing tax. How are we going to get the money from? And they expected him to address those issues in the state of the nation, but they weren't satisfied with what he said with that. Mm-hmm. Mary selling Chelsea says, we are waiting to hear that we will be paying similar to the first one you, you wrote saying that mm-hmm. we're waiting to pay for oxygen too. Ruto, Ruto is doing exactly opposite of what he promised and overdoing things he used to criticize the former president and his administration for. Mm-hmm. Osemudiamen Elvis Ogbidi, you're saying, I hope they won't blame it on the war in Gaza. <laughs> you know what? What happens in different parts of the world? There's, there's always it has a effect. ripple effect. Yeah, yeah definitely. That, that's a very political way to put it. I would say. Apana Tambua says the problem with African leaders who come to power are often taken hostage by IMF and the World Bank. Like the Kenyan case, they are incorporated as economic experts on finance matters. Out of panic, leaders are threatened with insolvency and deadline for previous loan repayments. It's a sad reality. You add. Mm. And Eddie, Apana Tambua is a Kiswahili name. He says, I don't care. Really? Yeah, Apana Tambua. Like, I don't recognize, you know. Mm. So it's very interesting and the view also. But of course, uh, yeah. the view is respected. Where did the Gideon is saying, His Excellency good in making promises, but very poor in delivery? Mm. Victor Baraza wraps it up saying, This regime has actually done more for Kenyans in just a year than the previous government with over five years in power. Okay. So, I mean, you would expect, George, there will be mixed reactions with this. Mm. Obviously, those that support Ruto's government will say, yeah, you know, in one year, because it's, I mean, it's not, it's not all gloom and doom in Kenya. Yes, the economy has been seriously hit. There's fewer, you know, concerns. There's a lot of tax that people are complaining about. But mm. when you talk about digitization and, you know, looking at technology and IT, some would say or argue that he's really taking Kenya high on that trend. Definitely. And of course, uh, the president himself and uh, those supporting him are saying that uh, he's basically laying, uh, you know, groundwork into mm. propelling the country into the economic prosperity that they promised the country when they were taking uh, office uh, after the election. Yeah. And, and uh, I look at, you know, the robust measures that he's trying to lay down in terms of uh, introducing taxes. Many economists have said that this is the step in the right direction, mm. but only if the taxes will go towards, you know, helping the common one inch, as they say it. Yeah, and from some of the comments, that's that's what people are skeptical about, right? They feel like they're paying a lot of tax and more is probably going to be introduced, but they don't see much of a financial change in their lives. They don't feel it in their pockets, so to speak. Mm-hmm, definitely, but uh, of course, it's a matter of wait and see. Yeah. Continue uh, sending in your comments on this particular raging topic and, of course, other stories that we are covering because this is Africa Link. Thanks for sticking with us on the program. If you just joined us, this is DW's Africa Link. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. And uh, Eddie Micah Jr. is with me, Jojo Kachi. Connect with us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Like and follow the page. And most importantly, most importantly, comment on the stories that we are covering. 
That is right. Coming up in the next few minutes, President Tinubu's decision to sign a controversial supplementary budget stokes anger among ordinary Nigerians. For, for me, if you ask me, for me, they are just you know, looking at their own problem, finding a way to solve it. And they don't care about us. We chat up ourselves. I see. We're going to get more of that in a bit. But before that, let's go to the Horn of Africa, where Somalis are struggling to cope with the most severe flooding in decades that has killed dozens of people and forced more than 300,000 to flee their homes. The National Disaster Management Agency warns that disruptions in flood-affected areas will likely continue for some time as response and recovery operations continue. Authorities have scrambled to rescue thousands of stranded people from the flood water, which comes out on the heels of the region's worst drought in 40 years, I should say, Mm. four decades. Eunice Wanjiro tells us more. In the heart of this catastrophe is Fadumo Abdul Kadir, who found herself amidst an overwhelming crisis when the floods struck. The floods not only displaced her, but also washed away the makeshift shelters she and others had managed to erect. Children are missing now. We do not know whether they are alive or dead. We request the aid agencies to urgently help us. This rain is a disaster. We are in water. We have taken shelter with our neighbors and we have nothing to give to the children. We have no shelter. We have no strength. We wait for help from God and please pass our request to the aid agencies so that they can help us urgently. The worst affected areas are in parts of Jubaland, Galmudug, Puntland and southwest states. Authorities have declared a state of emergency in the worst affected areas. Amina Mohammed, another displaced resident, shares her harrowing experience. We had come from Lower Shabelle region. We came here where it's raining on us day and night. It's a big problem. We are suffering. The little things we had were washed away by rain. This morning I didn't have tea to give the children. Please help us urgently if you are our brothers. Further rainfall and thunderstorms are forecast through at least November 15th in central and southern regions. The Meteorological Department also anticipates more showers throughout the remainder of the rainy season, extending until December. Heavy downpours will likely trigger additional flooding and hamper ongoing relief efforts. Local leader Aidan Mohammed expresses his dismay. So far, two elderly women have died in this camp due to the floods. We have buried them and had to pay for the grave. The roads are also impassable. There are many problems. Let the well-wishers who have wealth urgently help these displaced people. There are other people who are in critical condition. There is an elderly woman who is feverish and in terrible condition. The flooding comes after Somalia and parts of Ethiopia and Kenya suffered the region's worst drought in four decades. Christoph Horder, a UN climate security and environmental advisor, highlights the stark irony of the situation. There is quite a big irony around people fleeing for uh, the fact that they don't have water and now fleeing because they have too much water. 
And so it's a real uh, dichotomy or problem that we're seeing. Somalia, as much as the Horn of Africa, is considered one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change, but is particularly ill-equipped to cope with the crisis as it battles a deadly Islamist insurgency. El Nino, which triggers higher global temperatures, is expected to last until at least April 2024, the United Nations has warned. Eunice Wanjiru, many thanks for that. Uh, and comments also coming uh, through uh, mm-hmm. on this particular one, Eddie. And we have Dr. Najib Ise Dirie, you saying very sad indeed, poor infrastructure and preparedness are main reasons we are losing some lives. Yeah. And um, well, there's another comment. Uh, I think it's anonymous, uh, basically saying that before the current floods hit Somalia, we activated the WFP's first flood anticipatory actions in Africa, sending warning messages. Actually, this is coming from uh, the World Food Program Office in Somalia, actually. So just to clarify that, they are saying that they activated the, the first flood anticipatory actions in Africa, sending warning messages and cash to 200,000 plus people in areas where heavy rains were forecast. Acting before crisis happens is vital in a country on the forefront of climate change. So even though there was a warning the damage was still quite dire. Definitely. And uh, I finished one with from Prosper Chi Kezi, you saying the government needs to intervene quickly. Okay. Keep your comments coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, Nigerians have expressed anger and criticism following President Bola Tinubu's approval of a 2.8 billion US dollar supplementary budget. Now, the budget earmarks millions of dollars for a presidential yacht and sport utility vehicles for his wife and top government officials. Mm. This development comes as Nigerians, Africa's largest economy, I should say, is grappling with increasing food prices and double inflation. Also soaring is the frustration of ordinary Nigerians mm. who see politicians earn huge salaries while others like med- uh, medical professionals often go uh, on strike to protest meager salaries or wages. Ben Shimang from Abuja, Nigeria, with reactions. Spending 6.1 million US dollars for a presidential yacht rather than directing the funds towards student loans. This is the current hot topic trending in Nigeria after President Bola Tinubu's approval of the controversial supplementary budget. Peter Obi, the Labour Party presidential candidate, has been at the forefront of the growing chorus condemning the president, stating that the president appears indifferent to the plight of Nigerians. Many Nigerians argue that the supplementary budget should prioritize essential national welfare. Geoffrey Okeke, a retired accountant, agrees with this perspective. We do not see such urgent economic circumstances that the budget needed to address, except for less than 30% of the supplementary budget, which was to address the issue of wages for workers as a result of the removal of the fuel. Akin Reti Kasim, political commentator based in Abuja, believes the president's actions signal a continuation of a troubling trend in Nigeria. He argues that the government has overlooked critical development areas while allocating scarce resources to unnecessary matters. 
It is extremely important to note that the supplementary budget signed by the president contains good areas which include education, health, roads, and even security. A lot of money has been voted for student loans, defense, and security issues. However, the downside of it is the fact that uh, you know, money is only going to be spent on provision of uh, amenities in the state house and, of course, the issue of the yacht. And more importantly, the issue of the yacht is that these are expenses that all the present government may on ground. Nigerians on the streets are also unimpressed by the president's decision. Well, for me as an engineer, working to feed my own family, the federal government on their own part, for me, if you ask me for me, they are just you know, looking at their own problem, finding a way to solve it, and they don't care about us, we shut up ourselves. It's not about signing the paper. Budget or no budget, either trillion, billion, no matter how trillion. My own problem is let them use this budget for the right thing that they budgeted it for. That's, they should use it judiciously, not to just budget, borrow money at the end of the day. Somebody shining it to his account again and we continue suffering. This budget, I just want to start thinking positive about it because things are not going well in this country. You go to the market today, no matter the amount you go with, it doesn't buy anything much for you. As an educationist, I have children in the school, and I am not finding it easy. Training them in school is not easy. Feeding at home is not easy. I just hope things will change for the better in this country. Only God will help us. Upon assuming office, President Ahmed Bolatinubu promised Nigerians a new hope agenda for the country. Upon assuming office, President Ahmed Bolatinubu promised Nigerians a new hope agenda for the country. However, many Nigerians feel this new hope should encompass substantial cuts in government spending, especially concerning refurbishing the president's office and procuring luxury vehicles for lawmakers while the general public faces hardship. Crispy Mokideu narrating that piece by Ben Shemang. A very quick uh, comment uh, mm. from Negado Jr. Empire saying, Mr. President, just go ahead and increase the taxes, let them pay. <laughs> well, is this uh, is this connected to? Are you trying? You're bringing us back to our top story when uh, Kenya's president uh, William Ruto gave his first State of the Nation address, and uh, many people feel that they weren't addressed properly, if I can put it that way. But anyway, it's time for talking sports. At this time, if you've been with us this whole week, you know we've had our sports guru, Isaac Mugabe, who is really itching to start uh, talking. Isaac, first of all, you have some breaking news for us, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. First of all, it's always a pleasure for me to join you guys to talk about sports. It's my favorite segment. Yes, (laughs) definitely we have some breaking news, and I will happily start with that. The father of Liverpool striker Louis Diaz has been released 12 days Mm. after his kidnapping by rebels. In Colombia, that's according to the government. This is confirmed news, breaking news coming in right now. You yeah. remember that goal he scored? Yeah. I mean, he had the T-shirt yeah. in there saying, release this for freedom for my father. And yeah. so it's breaking news. And that's good for the yeah. fans of Liverpool out there. Yeah, really, really good news. 12 days after, you know, his, his dad was mm. uh, kidnapped by guerrillas. But hey, let's, let's, while we're sipping on that good news, there was some good news, at least depending on the club you support for Bayern Munich, mm-hmm. when they carried all three points yesterday. Tell us about that. Well, first of all, point of correction, my team is in the second Bundesliga. <laughs> that's Schalke. <laughs> it is struggling down there at the bottom. But well, 
Bayern Munich, the fans are still celebrating after mm. defeating Galatasaray. Galatasaray is a stubborn team, even though they had the lead. But Bayern Munich threw Hurricane, they scored two goals. And by the way, Eddie, mm -hmm. without missing words, this by far, Bayern was the better side in terms of possession. I'm talking about 62%. In possession of Bayern mm -hmm. Munich, shots 16 against six, shots on target four against two. So, but the fouls, of course, get us yeah. the loser had committed more fouls. But I mean, it was good news for Bayern. Uh, would you say New Year effect is taking? <laughs> well, well, he has a commanding effect, by the way. There are some players you consider as coach players. Mm. Remember, even though some people talk about age, so what? He's a goalkeeper. And at 37, he's still strong, by yeah. the way. But I mean, the man of the match can be Hurricane. Mm -hmm. But again, at the same time, also Bayern Munich suffered two players, Musiala and, and Leroy Sané. So two injuries. That's that's that's, that's a huge loss. Good news. Yeah, at least uh, those were two players. They still managed to carry uh, all three points. But in the other game, FC Copenhagen versus Manchester <laughs> United. I remember we talked about it. It was yes. more of a do or die game for United, but they lost to Copenhagen. I mean, the pressure has never mounted against Eric Ten Hag than yesterday. We had mm -hmm. said about it. I mean, he had to win that game, but getting a thrashing of four goals. <laughs> And the yeah. red card of Rashford, that was not so good. But the players are saying they have, he has their support. Mm. But again, the dressing room, you never believe what players say unless you're inside that dressing room, which so, is out of bounds for everyone. So is he going? That's the big question. That's the big question. And fans are not happy by the Glazers brothers who own Manchester United. And at the same time, the players, there is some sort of disunity that we are not getting to see because cameras are not allowed in. But again, the body language tells it all. He doesn't have the cohesion, when, that commanding effect of saying, I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. And for 18 months, he hasn't shown that. I'm sure to say, in all fairness, we have to say what we see. Mm -hmm. I mean, not objectively, but the truth of the matter. And everyone can see that, including all the sports pundits, whether here in Germany or in England. But of course, in England, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. You know those screaming headlines of the tabloids. They can never be happy with you. We said it yesterday on the show, mm -hmm. and I said, if he loses the headlines would be screaming. And that's what exactly happened before yeah. even midnight. But for yeah. me, it's interesting. Sorry, George. Uh, just a quick one because we're also running out of time. That mm. is the same Ten Hag that won a trophy for United last season mm -hmm. when we were playing remarkable football. So what's gone wrong? Yes, when you're good, when you win, you're good in the box. And that's what they want because now it's <laughs> in the air. <laughs> They're languishing in the fourth position, you know, and they risk being ejected, mm. ejected out of, out of the Champions League. Yeah, and talk about the ejection, uh, mm. Isaac. It's pretty much uh, like uh, we have a clear indication of who will proceed to the next round because two games remaining. And Yes, of course, we have Real Madrid, Bayern, and also uh, Leipzig among the two teams. Oh, yeah. unfortunately, the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, we could go on and on. But yeah. thanks a lot for that update, uh, Isaac Mugabe. And thank you guys for tuning in to the Africa Link program. I am Eddie Michael Jr. And my name is George Okachi. DW Made for Minds